Good morning. It is an honor to be here with you in worship and to bring you a message from the Word of God. So we're continuing in your series in the Gospel of Luke, and today we come to Luke chapter 7. And as I was studying for this passage, I came across a story that is told of a group of Christian missionaries. And they met in India to discuss their beliefs with people from various other religions. And during the discussion, a member of a major non-Christian religion said to one of the missionaries, tell me one thing your religion can offer the people of India that mine can't. And the missionary thought for a moment and replied, forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the defining aspects of Christianity. Jesus brings many blessings to those who are His, but without forgiveness, we couldn't access any of them. We all stand condemned before God in our sins, and we're in need of forgiveness, but before we can be reconciled to Him. The prophet Micah marveled at this fact that God would even offer forgiveness to His people. In Micah 7, he wrote, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. It's only the God of the Bible that offers forgiveness, and that forgiveness is only found in Jesus. Last week, Evan preached on Jesus forgiving the sins of the crippled man, and Jesus there reveals himself as the one who has the authority to forgive sins. And then in the story with Levi, the tax collector, Jesus reveals that that's the reason he's here, to forgive sinners. And today we'll see that those who are forgiven by Jesus have an extraordinary love for Him. Our passage today comes at the end of chapter 7, and it follows the story of the messengers being sent to Jesus from John the Baptist. And these messengers question Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? They wanted to know, and John the Baptist wanted to know, whether Jesus was the Messiah. Was he the one of whom John spoke of, the one that was mightier than him, the the one that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire? Was he the fulfillment of the promises of God to save his people? And Jesus answers them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus speaks of his actions as proof that he is the Savior sent by God. He's healed the blind, the lame, and the deaf. He's cleansed the unclean lepers. He's brought the dead back to life and preached the good news to the poor. God's blessing is found in him. In today's passage, we'll not only see more evidence that Jesus is God's promised Savior, but we'll also see how does this salvation come to sinners. Luke abruptly changes scenes from Jesus' conversation with the messengers to a banquet meal at the house of a Pharisee. Luke writes in verse 36, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. 
The Pharisees at this point are studying Jesus, and to gain a closer look, he's invited to the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And we see Jesus accepts this invitation and went to the Pharisee's house, and it says, reclined at table. Reclining was a typical position for eating a special meal in the time of Jesus. People would lie on their side facing the table with their body and their feet angled away from the table. And this suggests that it was a festive banquet because normal family meals involved sitting. And Jesus most likely was the guest of honor here, a prophet whom the Pharisees were curious about but still skeptical. And Luke then immediately introduces the main character and the point of the story in verse 37 and 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. At special meals, it was customary to leave the door open so uninvited guests could come in. And so here we have a woman of the city who was a sinner. She enters because she heard that Jesus was at this banquet. We're on it told the exact nature of her sin, but it was clearly public knowledge. And this sinful woman is drawn to Jesus. She knows he's eating at the house of the Pharisee, so she goes to see him. It would have taken tremendous courage for her to enter this house because she probably knew that the Pharisee was certain to treat her with contempt. And the Pharisee's response shows this to be true. In verse 39, we read his reaction. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The way Jesus receives this sinful woman is in stark contrast to the thoughts of the Pharisee. The Pharisee assumes she should be rejected, but Jesus accepts sinners. Her actions with Jesus show the heart of a woman who has been changed, a woman who knows that although she is a great sinner, Jesus is the one who offers an even greater forgiveness. And this shows us a characteristic of those who are forgiven in Christ. That is, they recognize the depth of their sin. We often trivialize sin. Most of us know that sin is wrong and that it separates us from God, yet we continue to do it. This is because we are sinful by nature. It's not really that we are sinners because we commit sins. The reality is that we commit sins because we are sinners. And, and this is what it meant to be poor in spirit, recognizing that you are deeply in debt before God because of your sin, and you have no ability to begin to redeem yourself. Uh, Tim Keller once put it this way, you are more sinful than you ever thought you were. And coming to this understanding is a starting place of a Christian. Understanding the magnitude of our own sinfulness is necessary to understand our need for a Savior. The religious leaders in Jesus' day didn't see the depth of their sin. They thought that following the purification and cleansing rituals was enough to cover their sins and make them blameless before God. But the temple sacrificial system was never enough to cleanse the sins 
of humanity. It was only to point us to the seriousness of our sins, to help us recognize the need for atonement and cleansing, and to point us to the one who would provide this, Jesus, the only one who has the ability to cleanse us and to forgive us ultimately. And this is the beauty of God's plan, the good news that comes in Jesus Christ. To complete Tim Keller's formulation of the gospel, he said, you are more sinful than you ever thought you were, and you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be. Last week, Evan preached on Luke chapter 5, and in the second half of that story, Jesus called Levi to follow him, Levi who eventually becomes the apostle Matthew. He was a tax collector. And as Evan mentioned, tax collectors were among the most despised people in Jewish society. They worked for the Romans, and they extorted their own people to collect taxes for the Romans. They, they charged more money than was needed so they could keep the rest of it. And in their greed, they were hated. But Matthew, Levi, threw a great banquet to celebrate his new life in following Jesus. And at this banquet, the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples of Jesus. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus responds, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus tells us here why he doesn't reject the sinful woman who anoints him. Sinners are the reason he came. He has come to offer them forgiveness. But if someone thinks they are already well, they also think they have no need for a doctor. People don't go to the doctor because they're healthy. They go because they're sick and they need healing. And if you're anything like me, then you stubbornly wait till there's absolutely no other option than going to the doctor. In 2 Samuel, David, as king of Israel, committed one of the most famous sins of the Bible. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, then conspired to have her husband murdered to cover it up. But the fall of David brought one of the most beloved psalms, Psalm 51. In this psalm, David repents of this sin, and he gives us a prayer of repentance, a broken soul pouring out his heart to God. And David doesn't simply confess his most recent and heinous sins. David understands his need for a full cleansing. He knows the depth of his sin. He writes in Psalm 51 verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Then in verse 5 he writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is fully aware that his sin is not just a few bad decisions. It's his nature. He cannot stop sinning because he's been a sinner from his conception. But he also knows that God can save us from our sinful condition. David recognizes his sinful nature, and this draws him to God. He knows that only God can save him from this. Recognizing the depth of our sin drives us to God. It drives us to Jesus Christ. And when we realize the magnitude of our problem, the only place to go is to God for forgiveness. Because our sin makes us enemies with God. 
It puts us in a situation that we can never get out of ourselves. But God loves us so much, he sent his only son to save us. He sent his only son to die so that we could be forgiven. And once we recognize our need for forgiveness, then we only need to realize that it's in Jesus that we are forgiven. The woman who anoints Jesus not only shows a recognition of her sin, but she also shows humility in coming into the presence of Jesus. In this contrast with the Pharisee who was too busy questioning whether Jesus was a prophet, he didn't recognize that Jesus was who Jesus was or his own need for forgiveness that Jesus gives. And this being poor in spirit, recognizing our situation before God humbles us and draws us to Christ. Humility in recognizing our need for Christ is another characteristic of those who are forgiven. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the former pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Center City, once said that Christ sends none away empty but those who are full of themselves. Now, Jesus knows the heart of the Pharisee, and here we see his name is Simon. Jesus knows Simon is questioning himself if Jesus is a prophet because he is allowing such a sinful woman to touch him. And we see Jesus' response starting in verse 40. And Jesus, answering to him, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Jesus answers Simon with a parable on forgiveness and love. The parable is about a moneylender who has two debtors. One has a debt of 500 denarii, the other a debt of 50 denarii. And to put this in perspective, a denarius was about a day's wages. So one debtor owed just under two months' pay, while the other owed about a year and a half's salary. And the twist in the story comes when they couldn't pay. The money letter cancels the debt for both of them, rather than what they normally would do would be forcing them to pay. But Jesus wasn't talking about economics. He was talking about the great debt of our sins and the grace of God that demands our gratitude in response. Jesus' point is that both the woman and Simon the Pharisee both have a debt of sin. Her sin may be of greater magnitude, but she knows she is a sinner. And the fact is, everyone else knows that she's a sinner, and this doesn't matter to Jesus. Jesus came for sinners. He, Jesus loves sinners. He died for sinners. But the self-righteous attitude of Simon shows that he thinks he's better than her. It shows that he lacks an understanding of his own sin and his own standing before God. He doesn't realize his need for a Savior, and his heart is hardened. And this is evident in the way he treats the woman and the way he receives Jesus. And so Simon reluctantly answers Jesus' question, now which of them will love him more? He said, the one, I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. The answer to Jesus' question is obvious, but Simon doesn't want to give Jesus any leverage in this conversation. 
But Jesus confirms his answers correct, and then he applies the parable to their current situation. Starting in verse 44, he says, Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus contrasts Simon's lack of courtesy towards him with the woman's loving devotion. The woman washed Jesus' feet. Simon did not. The woman incessantly kissed his feet. Simon failed to greet Jesus with a kiss, which was a customary sign of respect and friendship. The woman anointed Jesus' feet with oil. Simon failed to do so. The woman loved Jesus with an extraordinary love. She was focused on him and only him. And so it's clear in the parable, God is the moneylender. The woman is the one with the greater debt. Simon is the one with the lesser debt. And what we see is that comparing our level of sinfulness with others is a problem. A debt is a debt. A holy God is a holy God and sin must be punished. Jesus teaches this same message in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which comes later in Luke's gospel in chapter 18. In this parable, the Pharisee stands before God and says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. He praises God that he is not like other sinners around him. His heart is full of pride. He doesn't see his own sinfulness. He doesn't see his need for a savior. But then the tax collector, the most hated of sinners, stood at a distance and he would not look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. While the Pharisee showed arrogance, the tax collector showed a recognition of his own sin and humility before God. And then Jesus concluded that it was the tax collector who was the one who went home justified before God, not the Pharisee. And he concludes with this, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who are forgiven and Christ recognize the depth of their sin, they approach God in humility. But the story of the sinful woman today in the parable of the moneylender tell us something more. It's not just that the woman recognized her own sins and humbled herself before God, which she did, but she also loved Jesus greatly. Jesus explicitly states this, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. It's not that she earned her forgiveness through her love or by loving Jesus, but that she responded to the forgiveness of Jesus by loving him with all her heart. And this applies to all who put their faith in Jesus. Those who are forgiven by Jesus have an extraordinary love for him. It's the love for Christ that has sustained the church for 2,000 years. It's the love for Christ that drives us to love the sick, the poor, the marginalized. It's the love for Christ that brings us to give up everything for him. 
Jesus is the one who has the authority to forgive sins. And he openly states to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And those at the table question him on this because they know that only God can forgive sins. Sin is ultimately done against God. Therefore, he is the only one with the right and the power to forgive them. And everyone is in need of that forgiveness. And to be forgiven brings out this humility in us. It brings out a love for Christ. And we show our love for Christ by praising him, by worshiping him. We show our love for Christ by living lives filled with joy and gratitude. And we show our love of Christ by following him which means following his commands. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All the commandments of God are summarized in love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. A love for Christ is a love for God, and we show it by loving our neighbor. Those who are forgiven in Christ will have a radical love for God, and this will manifest itself in a radical love for our neighbor. The love that Christ has for us is a sacrificial love. The forgiveness that he brings to us came at a great cost, and he calls us to a sacrificial love. Our love for Christ is modeled by the woman who anointed Jesus. She was completely focused on him and worshiping him. Those who are forgiven by Jesus have an extraordinary love for him. And this manifests itself in a life filled with love. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, We love because he, loved, he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The forgiveness we find in Christ brings us to love God by loving Christ, and it brings us to love our neighbor. The forgiven in Christ are marked by love. Those who have been forgiven in Christ love him greatly. And that means we will love others. Christians have always had a radical love for people that are usually disregarded in the societies they're in. Because God not only saves people from punishment of our sins, but he saves us to something. He saves us so that we can live in this world but for his kingdom. He saves us so we can be a people who give our lives to him. We are forgiven greatly so that we can love greatly. We're forgiven by the extraordinary love of God so that we can live our lives and show the extraordinary love of God to everyone around us. And so the question that faces all of us is that do you love Jesus Christ? Have you come to receive the forgiveness that only comes in him? Is your life marked by the love of Christ and love for your neighbor? If so, may you continue to grow in your love of Christ. May you continue to exhibit the love for God and love for your neighbor that is the hallmark of those who are forgiven in Jesus Christ. May the Spirit of Christ strengthen you and compel you to love Christ wholeheartedly. And now there may be some of you here today 
that have not come to know the forgiveness that is only found in Jesus Christ. If you recognize that you are a sinner in need of God's forgiveness, trust that Jesus is the only way to this forgiveness. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's only found in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him and his love for you, and he will transform your heart. It's only in Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven so that we may love him, love our neighbor with the same supernatural love that he has for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, great, powerful, and eternal God, we know that because you never change, your power, wisdom, and mercy are the same as ever. We humbly ask that you look down from heaven in great mercy upon your whole church, every member of it. Bless us with your grace. Guide us with your spirit. May we as your people continue to seek you in your word. We need your spirit, Lord, to illuminate our understanding and transform our hearts. That we may love you with our whole heart, mind, and soul. And that we may love our neighbor as ourselves. May the love of Jesus Christ shine through in our lives. And in his name we pray. Amen.